and welcome into the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway over on X and with me right over here, as always, Matt Sells at the Sellsman over on X. Matt, we are down to the final week, really, hey, final yes. week of the Major League Baseball season, it seems. Just a little bit ago, we were talking about sleepers and busts for the 2023 fantasy season and looking at the numbers in the beginning, then the trade deadline, then the Super 2 with all the prospects. Actually, we had some prospects kind of mixed in throughout the whole season, but um, it's crazy that we are coming down to the end here for both fantasy baseball season, if your league already isn't over, as well as the regular season. But before we get into today's talking points, how are you doing? I'm good. I just now realized that if you're watching the video on this, I kind of blend in with the with the background because i'm wearing a chief's shirt so it kind of blends in but oh well, uh i'm good you know we got fall here in the midwest so cooler temps fun times i uh, was able to grill pretty much all weekend so i'm good my teams have long been out of it so i don't have a lot of uh stress this week my wife though her adopted favorite team is just stressing her like no end. The Arizona Diamondbacks are they're trying to fulfill my promise. I told her in June they were going to make the playoffs. Then I told her in July when they decided not to win games that they were going to make the playoffs. And right now they're holding up their end of the bargain. But there's a week left and six teams are vying for three spots in the NL. So we'll see. A lot can happen here in the final week, both in reality and in fantasy. And let's kind of just use that. Let's. I was going to talk about the AL first, but you kind of segued it right into the National League. So let's kind of look at the NL. So obviously we know, you know, Atlanta, division clinched. Yes. Dodgers, division clinched. Milwaukee, playoff berth clinched. Correct. Technically the NL Central still up for grabs there. But Matt, as we see here in this wild card race, Philly, you never know what can happen. They have a pretty good hold at least on one of the spots. They got a pretty good hold. I mean, mathematically, they technically haven't locked it up. So there is a chance per Dumb and Dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. Then you got Arizona, Cubs, Miami, and Cincinnati all within two wins of one another. So obviously you had said that Arizona is going to make it. So you're kind of holding to that one. So let me just ask you this. Cubs, Marlins, Reds, and technically, I guess, mathematically speaking, Padres and Giants as well. Who do you think gets the last wild card spot? I think it's the Cubs. I think I think the Cubs make it. I think the Marlins fall just a tad short, uh, whether it be pitching down the stretch or offense kind of going hot and cold a little bit. Um, not to mention they got to face the Phillies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a little bit, you know, they're, they're getting a preview of the, the playoffs here. Um, yeah, I, I think it's the Cubs that make it. I think it's the Diamondbacks and Cubs that are going to finish it off. I think the Giants finished just short. Um, the Reds, it's been a valiant effort, but I, I also think that their pitching is kind of falling off a table. Um, and another guy we'll talk about in a little bit, kind of falling, you know, a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, w- I would go D-backs Cubs is who I would think for the last two spots. Has it been too little too late for the Padres? Obviously, they're on a nice little run now, but, I mean, it's one of those things. Yeah, that run should have happened in July. <laughs> yeah, and despite going 9-1, and one, they get some matches with the Giants here, so effectively boost their spot, kick the Giants out of basically any contention. But there's only a handful of games left. they got to make up a little ground. And it's crazy to think that despite going 9-1 and one in their last 10, they're still multiple games out 
of the back end of the wild card spot. So do you think it's too little too late? Yeah, because the problem for them is that they don't control their own destiny. Like going nine and one is great, but you also need five teams to suck at the same time you're hot. Mm. And, you know, it, that's what killed the Diamondbacks earlier this year is that they went downhill while everybody else that they were chasing got hot around the trade deadline, made some moves, whatnot. The Padres just have never found it this year. They, they're they just – I think they're toxic, to be honest. I don't think a lot of their guys get along. Like, we heard reports that Bogarts and Soto are, like, best friends. Okay, but does Bogarts and Machado get along? Do people like Machado? Um, you know, th- there's been talk about how their guys are going to get traded, like, all second half, right? Blake Snell was on the market. There's – Apparently, trade talks about Juan Soto in the offseason for what they could get for one, you know, in his final year before he hits free agency. Um, Josh Hader was dangled as a trade piece, too. So I don't think that's good for anybody. Um, but I also wonder if Bob Melvin doesn't necessarily know how to manage into the playoffs. Because hmm. All of those years working with the A's and just trying to eke by with what they got, and if they get lucky, great. But now he's got a talented roster, and he's actually got to put it to use. I'm not – I feel like there's a transition period here. Yeah, I I think it's fair. They're, they're just a uh, – I think it's too little too late for them. They have all the talent in the world, but I mean – In your book, are they the most disappointing team of 2023? Um, they are up there as I'm looking at the records here. A big one is St. Louis, obviously they've been abysmal, but I mean, who going into the year, I would say that the Padres and the Cardinals, their aspirations and potential was probably similar. I would say. I think you and I both had the Cardinals locked with the winner of the NL central. And then the two, three, four would come down to what went, people's yeah. way between the reds the brewers and the cubs right yep. and then the pirates sorry colby we're going to bring up the rear of the division i think we both had the padres in the playoffs probably i don't think i had them winning the division i think i had the dodgers winning but mm-hmm. it was close yep so in that regard sure i mean could you put the yankees it's hard for me to put the Yankees on that list for most disappointing because I was secretly rooting for it to completely fall apart so that ownership would take notice of just how bad of a job Ryan Cashman has done for two decades. Yeah. And like, it was a flawed system to begin with coming into the year. I think everything had to go right for them to make it. I think they might've gotten caught off guard by just how good Baltimore was. And Tampa just keeps winning despite losing everybody known to man, including Brandon Lau, who broke his kneecap, apparently. Yep. Um, (laughs) Just unbelievable. So, yeah, I guess... I guess for me, it's either the Cardinals or the Padres. I would give it to the Padres simply because they have more name recognition, more stud players than the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, Cardinals are 20 games under 500. That's pretty insane. I mean, it's historically bad, and it was a very winnable division coming mm-hmm. into the season. 
Agreed. Yeah, I would think Padres, Padres and the Cardinals are probably the front runners on that list. Maybe the Yankees in that next tier. Really in the American League, and I'll kind of use a segue in, there was no team that was like arguably disappointed. Like when you look at the bottom three teams, Oakland, Kansas City, and Chicago, kind of expected them to all be. I'm not sure we saw Chicago falling this far down, but yeah. But them only winning 60 games isn't as underwhelming as the Cardinals only winning maybe 70 games by the end of the year. And then like the angels, it's one of those things like they had all the talent, but it's, it's same. It's never worked different year previously. So can you be disappointed when it doesn't work for a seventh straight year? I think that's called insanity. If you continue to what is, I I mean, you always see the definition go out there on, on X and everything, but yeah. So I I think those are the teams that probably the most underwhelming. And then in the American league here, as we look at it, uh, Two teams with the most win totals from the same division. So Baltimore's going to take a division spot, and then Tampa Bay is going to steal a wild card from you know some of the other teams that are in contention there. Really, Minnesota's got the I almost said AL NL Central locked up, so they got yeah, one of those AL. top three spots. So basically, it's the battle of the AL West and then Toronto for that pretty much that last yeah. wild card, and then obviously the AL West division. So you got Texas at eighty, Texas and Toronto at 87 wins and then you got houston at 85 seattle at 84 now the big thing here as we're recording this on monday afternoon is that seattle and houston play each other right so there's some jockeying to be had here early in the week while texas gets cupcake matchups against the angels so how do you think the al wildcard shakes out here and i guess technically the al west division as well so who does toronto i don't remember who toronto plays toronto's got a three-game set with the yankees here to begin the week Actually, it might be four. No, it's an early week, so it would be Monday. They get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then either go right. Yeah, but the Yankees are playing. We're recording this on Monday. The Yankees are playing the Diamondbacks because the game on Saturday was that's right postponed due to the tropical storm. Okay, so Monday is Toronto's. Oh, that's the travel. Okay, got it. So yeah, three game set with the Yankees, and then a three game set with the Rays to close out the year. Could the Rays be resting people? Who do they Maybe. have left to rest? Well, I mean, I mean honestly, anybody they want to play, to be honest, they might want to just rest them. I mean, oh, and then Houston plays Seattle. Texas gets the Angels. This is really, this is really, it might come down to where the pitching matchups fall and who gets, who's facing on any given day my guess would be the houston pulls it out simply because of their history my cat is now on my lap if you're watching this um houston pulls it out simply because of their history right they've been to six straight alcs as no other team has ever made a championship series that many straight times mm-hmm. um Boy, then the next three, can you like who are you thinking it is? Because I think Houston pulls it out because they're Houston. And then that leaves you Toronto, Texas, and Seattle, which I feel like are all pretty evenly matched. Yeah. So Toronto gets Yankees and Rays. Texas gets Angels and Seattle. Houston gets Seattle, Arizona. Seattle gets Houston. And Texas. Texas. And I'm looking at it here just for this Mariners Astros series. As of right now, as we're recording this, the Monday night game. So if you're listening to this, 
in the past, I guess. Verlander Castillo. That's the Monday night matchup. Tuesday night, tentatively slated Christian Javier and George Kirby. Wednesday matchup, Bryce Miller, Framber Valdez. Ooh, buddy. Yep. I think it's I think I think Seattle is out simply because they have to play Texas and Houston. It is the hardest, I would say, of those matchups down the stretch. But if Seattle gets hot and wins them, then you're knocking out one of Texas or Houston because one of those teams isn't going to make it over Seattle. Who's play- <sighs> this is this is fun. If you could. You know what? Here's what we'll do. I will say that all three AL West teams make it. I was just I was going to pivot and say, what do you think happens versus what do you want to happen? I think all three AL West teams make it. And I think Toronto is out. I'll double down with that. I, I think like you get three that. AL West and not three AL East. Three, three AL West, and then there will be two AL East, and then the Twins. Cool. Which they got in by default in July because everybody else in the division. <laughs> Except for that? the Royals who brought in Cole Reagans, who's been lighting things on fire. Literally. Yeah, except for when he fell off the mound twice. Yeah, that wasn't good. Um, so – We'll have to see what happens here down the stretch. Maybe next week as we have the playoff matchup solidified, we'll kind of do our little projections and see how it turns out there. But, Matt, a couple, maybe maybe a month or a couple months ago at this point now, probably months. Yeah, it was probably months at this point. But we had talked about Ellie De La Cruz. He came up, and it was basically going to be how high is he going to go in 2024. I mean, just oozes fantasy potential, hits the ball hard, runs really fast, makes exciting plays. Very marketable, very promotable, but the the shine is wore off a little bit. Let's say that. So let's start with this. Let's look into the let's do the curious case of Ellie De La Cruz for 2024. So Matt, let's start with the good. 93 games this year, 11 homers, 33 stolen bases. Not quite an easy just doubling it to say, but basically you're looking at about 20 homers and 50 plus stolen bases. Pretty darn good over the course of a full season. And his 45% hard hit rate is very good. So before we get into the bad and the ugly, let's just focus on the good of Ellie De La Cruz in that it's when things go right, he could be one of the most valuable fantasy players overall because he just hits the ball hard. He can rack up stolen bases. And it figures to be a good lineup, and it will remain a good hitter's park in 2024 for De La Cruz. Yep. Like – I, I don't have anything else to add to that. I'm double-checking how many steals Aaron Judge has because Aaron Judge played about the same number of games this year as Ellie De La Cruz. And in terms of, like, if you flip the numbers, obviously Judge isn't stealing 33 bags, but he's hit 30-something homers. Um, and so I'm just trying to double-check here how many steals Aaron Judge has. Um, you know, he's got, okay, only three stolen bases. Not so, not so much, not like last year, but again, Aaron Judge played the same amount of games. Obviously he got hurt. It went in the first round, 35 homers, 270 average, you know, he's going to wind up a little shy on the runs in RBI mainly because the offense sucks and he missed time. Um, but yeah, if you could get that out of Ellie De La Cruz for a full season, he's a first round pick. Hmm. 
there, there's not a debate about that. If you get a full healthy year of smooth selling, Ellie De La Cruz, we're talking about a guy who's somewhere between Ronald Acuna and Julio Rodriguez. Yeah. Fair. I mean, now, the question is, and I think where you want to go with this is, is that going to happen? Uh, that is definitely the path I would like to go. I'm trying I'm getting his numbers here, just to kind of what he's done this season. I'm going to leave out some of the main numbers here, but over 162 games or 650 plate appearances, 19 homers, 57 stolen bases. This is what like baseball reference paces. Yeah. It out yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's good. Is anybody complaining about the 20? The, the I mean, obviously it's 4070 for Acuna, but. A 2070 season? Would anybody or 2055? Yeah. Nobody would complain about that. No, and then also, I mean, just from what he's done this year, I mean, on top of the 19 homers, 57 stolen base, we're talking 24 doubles and 10 triples. Some so of those will turn to yeah. yeah. If you're in a points league that's getting or a league that's getting credit for slugging percentage or OPS, yeah, dude's a first round pick when he manages to consistently produce numbers and when things are going right so let's get into the bad here matt and i think this is where we're going to start kind of nitpicking the the talented infielder a little bit here but 4.1 degree launch angle 53.9 percent ground ball rate 12.3 percent swinging strike rate if you're going to throw one of those out you could probably throw that one out swing and miss just in the game nowadays anyway so that number well a bit elevated, especially, can, especially since he had that in the minors too. It was all yeah. and you could be successful with, with that, that. Number. so it's it wasn't a big red flag. Yeah, two ninety five on base percentage. So these numbers here, I think the ones that stand out to me, and it's kind of what we saw with Vladdy Vladdy Junior earlier in his career. You can have a hundred percent hard hit rate. Yep, but if it's this, this. Correct this and all you're doing is beating the ground you're a worm killer per se you can't hit the ball you can't hit home runs when you hit the ball on the ground correct just can't do that so do you think this well, maybe a he could get of, on first and then steal three bases well, true true i mean if anyone maybe him but do you think this is something that will come with like maturation and growth because i mean he is barely old enough to drink so like yeah there's still a lot of growth and maturation to occur so how much stock do you put into what we've seen in this first taste of professional action versus he just needs to grow, mature, and develop, and he'll start to loft the ball with time. Yeah, I think I think a couple of things are happening here, right? One, you come up and major league pitchers are like, oh, you think you can hit my fastball? Here it is. And they give you a crap ton of fastballs because they think they can just overpower young hitters. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've never seen a fastball like mine in the minors, even though everybody in the from high school to AAA is throwing 102 now, yeah. right? So that's part of it. He was getting a pretty steady diet of fairly straight pitches, right? Whether it be fastballs or, you know, change-ups that don't have a lot of fade or break to them. Um, now pitchers have started to figure out his tendencies. They've started to figure out his holes because that's what happens when you're in the majors. They get a book on you. They know where to attack you. Um same reason why lefties still throw curveballs into Bryce Harper. He still can't lay off of them. He's been in the majors for like 10 years, right? 
Same thing with Eli De La Cruz. They have found some holes. Now he'll go back. He'll adjust to what they're doing. And then they'll adjust. And it's this game of adjustments, right? So part of it is pitchers are starting to adjust to a young hitter who nobody really thought was going to do what he was doing in the minor leagues at the major league level, right? Second, I think he's pushing a little bit because the Reds have hung in the wild card so long that he wants to be the guy who pushes them over the line, right? Mm -hmm. And when you push and you try too hard at basically any professional sport, you start to play poorly, right? We've seen it in football. If a guy tries too hard to make interceptions, he forces them or, you know, make completions, forces them, makes bad plays, or takes off from the pocket before he should have and – whatnot or in basketball he's shooting you know we've seen Steph Curry go cold when he's forcing it doesn't work same thing with Eli De La Cruz so I think part of it is maturation and I think part of it is he's pushing too hard and a lot of that to me will increase once the launch angle goes up Mm -hmm. if you stop hitting it at a 4.1 degree launch angle your ground ball rate will drop right? Mm-hmm. Your on-base percentage will go up because you're more likely to get hits. Therefore, your batting average is higher, makes your on-base percentage higher. And I think when he's not pushing, he'll be a little more patient and might take a few more walks because, to be honest, all the Reds want him to do is get on base because his legs can generate runs by themselves. So he doesn't have mm-hmm. to hit it over the park to do that. Of qualified hitters over at Baseball Savant, where I'm looking at right now, Ellie De La Cruz. Ninth lowest launch angle. Sandwiched or right around DJ LeMahieu at 3.9 degrees and Luis Garcia at 4.3 degrees. Right there is Mr. Ellie De La Cruz. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a sign of DJ LeMahieu being over the hill. And I think it's a sign of Luis Garcia not being a very good uh MLB hitter for the Nationals there. Um I think for Ellie De La Cruz, it's a sign of he just needs some time to mature a few more MLB at-bats, not be pressing so much. I'm not that concerned. And then let's talk about the ugly here. 34.2% strikeout rate on the year against lefties. That strikeout rate is flirting with 40% as it's coming in at 39.7% as you record this. An expected slug of only 363. Seems quite low for a guy like him. 290 expected WOBA. And over at Fangraphs, if he were to qualify as a hitter, his 72.7% contact rate would rank 109th out of 135 currently qualified hitters. What do you take from the ugly there? What numbers there really stand out? Or maybe it's just a matter of that's also just, you know, he strikes out a lot. He's kind of always had a little bit of that in his game. Lefty versus lefty first time in the bigs. Okay. The expected numbers are a little bit concerning. And I think those are probably being driven down by the, low launch angle and the insane ground ball rate at this point. Correct. I think, I think you're right on with the analysis. I think lefties right now in the majors will eat a young lefty hitter alive because mm-hmm. they'll just sit there and they'll whip the sweepers and the sliders and the cutters and the curve balls, all at angles these guys haven't seen. And they'll just sit off the outer third of the plate. Right. I mean, you were a catcher when it was a lefty lefty matchup, you either went really far in to set it up, and then you go out so it looks like it's going to be a strike and they swing at it even though it never had a shot, 
right? I'm sure that that's what they're doing. He's always had some swing and miss. They're preying on that. Um, and I think part of it is, A, that they're, you know, finding his holes, and B, he's pushing a little bit. So we'll see. If it's still that high mid-next season, then there's cause for concern at that point. But right now, I think it's a young guy. I mean, if you watch what Corbin Carroll's done in the second half, mm-hmm. it's all pushing and trying to produce instead of doing the next man up thing. Yep. And he's got caught swinging at a lot of stuff he shouldn't be swinging at. So I think it's the case with a lot of young hitters in playoff mode. I can already see going into the 2024 season, De La Cruz is going to be one of the most polarizing fantasy assets. Right. You are either going to trust the good or are you going to trust the, the ugly that we just pointed out? And it's going to be, which do you buy into more? And then I, I I totally see articles, De La Cruz breakout, De La Cruz breakout, De La Cruz biggest fantasy baseball bust. You know, I already I see I think you're giving Howard Bender a, a few content ideas for the MLB draft guide. I would be very surprised if he is not one of our, um, if we do like a player debate type thing for fantasy baseball, I would not be surprised if he is. I would be incredibly surprised if he is not one of them. Yeah, and here's the truth. It's going to be somewhere in between. It's yeah. not going to be all bad. It's not going to be all good. No player ever is. But guess what? It'll be good enough that I think by the end of next year, he will have warranted a first or very early second round pick. I think that is a good spot. To that be lineup in and Parker too good to ignore. Like It will definitely help. Yes. It will definitely help. And then Matt here, the last couple of minutes that we have here, for those of you, if you are in head-to-head leagues and you're still playing for something, maybe it's that fantasy baseball title or you're just trying to scrap out a couple more points for your season-long uh, rotisserie leagues, a couple guys worth picking up here for the last week of the season. I'll go ahead and go first, Matt. Uh, check out Reese Olsen for Detroit. He's got four straight quality starts with a 1.40 earned run average and an 18-7 to strikeout-to-walk ratio across uh, 25 and two-thirds innings pitched. Pretty, pretty solid there. He gets Kansas City this week, and it's very possible that he'll actually get the team's final start of the year as well, which will come against Cleveland. So you could get a very good right-hander getting two starts here in the final week of the season to close it out. So if you need some pitching help, check out Reese Olsen. And then if you need some offensive help, Matt, where should people be checking checking out? We should go with uh, Colby's team here. Pirates, they got a couple of guys who are streaking, like, and in the – with clothes on. Yeah. Uh, Jared Triolo, who is a second base shortstop, third base eligible guy on fan tracks. And Josh Palacios, uh, who's just been killing people recently. Like, he's hitting well over 500 in the last week. Uh, he's an outfielder for the Pirates. Both guys are getting decent playing time in the last week. They've both had more than 16 at bats, which is basically full time. Uh, they're hitting both over 370. They both have multiple homers. They've got handfuls of RBI in the last week. So, you know, they get Philly, Miami, not great, but Miami's pitching is kind of starting to fall off a cliff a little bit. Um, the Phillies bullpen, they've been searching for answers for a little while now. Um, so you can get some, you can get some decent, decent uh, starts out of those two guys down the stretch. I would agree with that indeed. So if you are fighting for that title, just trying to get a couple more uh, points for your uh, different categories in the rotisserie league, trying to bump up a spot or two, check out Reese Olsen, Jared Trill, and Josh Palacios, to the latter two being from the 2024 NL Central champion Pittsburgh Pirates. It's not too early to start manifesting that 
into the ethos, Matt. And might as well start doing it with your nationals as well. 2024 National League East Championship champions. It's never too early to start manifesting the destiny that you want. I think that's pretty spiritual words to live by here and pretty motivational for yeah. a for a Monday afternoon or Tuesday evening. Monday motivation. Yes. Yeah. Or you know, or Tuesday. Tuesday tidbits, Tuesday diatribes. I mean, it doesn't have the alliteration, but there's a T in there, so it counts. But, <laughs> of course, uh, make sure you go over to fancyalarm.com. Uh, we are in NFL season, but you can get all the great content that we have over there. If you are an NFL DFS player or just fantasy football player in general, you'll get access to everything over there. Be an all-pro subscriber. Come hang out with Matt and I in the Discord. We'll talk shop. I'll tell you why you need to start all of your Texans and everything like that. And then, obviously, Matt has a Chiefs fan on or chief shirt on so he doesn't need to tell you to start chiefs because that's basically like common knowledge at this point um but the chiefs fandom has grown matt so i'm excited for you and the swifties to come out and be <laughs> be all in this together with the kansas city chiefs as they look for a strong 2023 season but we'll be back next week to break down the mlb postseason we'll talk matchups what we're excited to see our predictions everything like that so give me a follow on x at colby r conway matt is at the salesman on x and we will see you next week with the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast.